Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. jump right in and just be like I don't know the full details of this but allegedly and I don't want to get overly political but uh, the Biden administration is one of the their bills that they're trying to do is they're removing funding for archery hunting in schools and so there's a huge petition and there's a you know big underground thing and trying to get trying to get this bill scrubbed fixed rewritten or just tanked altogether um, because it is kind of i think a backdoor way against the second amendment and hunting in general you know if you don't get i mean think of think of the ramifications of that like early on like because it's in school right so these these kids are going to be exposed to archery which doesn't have to be hunting mind you this could correct they could they could never take an animal's life. They could, oh, maybe they just get interested enough to um, become a target shooter, right? Be- go on to become an Olympian. Like this could be a thing, right? Um, but on top of that, there's something with archery hunting that it's kind of like a built-in meditation. Like when you, like when you really get into it, in that moment, you're not thinking about what bills have to be paid. Uh, Jenny didn't text me back. Uh, whatever it's like you're just like my breathing my anchor point my sight target it's therapy release. is what it is yeah and so for yep. those brief seconds when you come to full draw the rest of the world falls away and it's really good and so that can be even if they don't even if they don't get into hunting hunting or even archery maybe they're like but what they grasped was this way of focus right that could be applied to their everyday life so I may be getting more nuanced and making this something bigger than it is, but I really don't think that I am. Um, but this does need to be brought up. Like this is our way of life. The hunting, the second amendment is, has been, and will continue to be under attack in perpetuity. Like there's always going to be people that just have an inherent fundamental ideological problem with it. 
and this, you know, and, and the way they word it, it's like um, dangerous weapons is what, you know, they don't call out archery specifically. You know, it's like they're removing dangerous weapons. And, of course, it's always under this banner of safety, right? Oh, we're making it safe for the kids. And I just find it very deplorable and abhorrent that they use kids for their political leverage. I think it's gross. Agree. You know, and I, I don't know where I was necessarily going with that other than this is happening right now, so be aware of it. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys like, we all need to mobilize and be politically active. And it's like, it, it's unrealistic to think every single 330 million Americans are going to be politically active, right? We all have separate interests and, you know, I think... I'm one of them. I'm one of them who's not politically active. Yeah, I mean, I think voting is important, but do I think you need to, you know, know every bill that's on the table and every, you know, no, I don't. In fact, it would probably be better if our political attention was flipped more locally than nationally. You'd see many more good things happen. But local politics don't get as much uh, airtime as, you know, oh, Biden fell down again. Let's just blast that everywhere. Oh, Trump's indicted again. Let's blast that everywhere. You know, that's that's what I saw a video recently of Trump. No, no, sorry, Biden. I saw a v- video recently of Biden eating shit on stage. <laughs> I think there's a few of those out there. And we shouldn't laugh. And you know what? I shouldn't laugh. Because. And I feel bad for the guy. That's somebody's dad. That's somebody's grandpa. That That's the way I look at it, right? Um, you know, just like, if that were my grandpa. Yeah. And, and he is. He is someone's grandpa. Like, dude. You know, I feel bad and like all the Republicans or like my news feeds on Facebook, you know, are, are all kinds of stuff making fun of Biden. Um, and it's like, I, I don't like it. Like, I don't want to see Biden falling down the flight of stairs, you know, coming off the plane. I don't want to see yeah. him falling on stage like, dude. And I get it. Like, I, understand. I don't want to see that. Stuff. Yeah. And like, I get I, it. Because... I, I don't laugh. You know, I, I just don't get the same reaction that they're looking for. I get the opposite of it. I feel bad for the guy. You know, I laugh and then I catch myself, you know, sure, it's like, sure, OK, sure. and it, it's easy, especially, you know, if that's not your party. Right. And here's where we are with politics is like, if that's not your oh, party, sure, sure. it's easy to dehumanize <laughs> right. the other. Right. And and that in lies the problem of this, like, bipartisan thing, like, your politics are not who you are. Your thoughts are not who you are, right? And so much of this just gets attached to our identities that the outcome is the othering of other people. You know, when you start referring to a large group of people as they, that's the first step of the problem. Because yep. they is a faceless group of people that you don't really care what happens to. Yep. And... They might have a political opinions that differ from yours, but they're still people. They're, they're, they're still human beings, have all the same spectrum of emotions that you do. In the end, they just want to be happy, loved, feel safe, <laughs> you know, have a roof over their heads and a full belly. Do you know who Tulsi Gabbard is? Yes, I love Tulsi. You do? I'm a huge fan of Tulsi Gabbard, yes. Do you, do you remember ever having a conversation about her with me or not? Uh, I don't know. I've talked about her. I don't, I don't think you and I have ever talked about this ever. We might not have. I also love Tulsi Gabbard. 
Dale. Yeah, uh, she's one of the people. I, I I have even when she was a Democrat, I I loved her then, and when she left the Democratic Party, I fell in love with her even a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be honest. Like, she's I, just an amazing individual. She was the person. She was the Democrat I've been waiting for. You know, when I would get into political debates with like my family members and stuff, I'd be like, listen, I fundamentally would love to vote for Democrat, like a classic Democrat. But the candidates the Democratic Party picks, I, I can't, I can't, I can't vote for. I can't get behind. You know. Right, right. And then Tulsi Gabbard comes along, and I'm like, I now do I agree with everything? No, I don't. What? But yeah. I agree with a lot, and I agree with more of what she has to say than what I'm hearing from the Republican Party. <laughs> So, yeah, if she gets the presidential nomination, there's a strong chance it's going to be the first time in my life as a voter that I check the Democrat box. And then the Democratic Party completely tanked it because, in my opinion, it exposed them for who they really are. You know, and even when I was debating this with my brother and he's like, well, she's not a he said she's not a real Democrat. What does that mean? Shut up. Yeah, I'm like you just that says more about you than it says me or her. It's like she's not just stepping in line with the narrative. I mean, she actually has like independent thoughts. Like she doesn't just check all these boxes. She actually talks about how it's in like these things in life and politics and government are as a nuanced thing. That's that's when you listen to her speak just for a couple minutes, you realize immediately that she is authentic. Oh, for sure. And that is so rare. You know, and it was coming on the heels of, of uh, you know, I'm with her, right? Everybody wearing the pussy hats and everything. Hillary Clinton, let's get a female president. And it's like, I was like, I don't have a problem with having a female president. Just not that female. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like that person in general. It doesn't matter what's between her legs. I don't like that person. And then Tulsi comes along. And they're like, well, not her. I'm like, what do you mean not her? Yeah, right. Like what what? Why why not? I mean she in my opinion she checks That's all only the... coming from someone who has never met, like listened to her like only someone who doesn't know who it is would say that. On the surface she checks all of let's just say the progressive boxes. She's a woman. She's a woman of color. She was Muslim. A veteran. <laughs> She's a veteran. A veteran. She's like active. Not even she was active military at the time. I mean, she might still be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She was a National Guard, active guard member. It's like, how? What? Like, checks all the boxes, and they're like, yeah, but not her. It's like, well, that just tells me that those talking points that you like to spit out are just that, just talking points. Like, and you just want them to. You you want your candidate to be just say the stuff you want to hear, but not do the stuff you want to do. I have to encourage all of our listeners right now to go and listen to the Joe Rogan, Tulsi Gabbard podcast. I believe it's the last one that those two have done. And it was her. It was a while back. Somewhere, Yeah, it was like a year ago, maybe. Uh, somewhere like towards the end of that podcast, they finally actually get to the point of having her on was like, hey, I'm, I'm just announcing publicly that I'm leaving the Democratic Party. But just listening to that entire podcast, it's like, it is so refreshing, Dale, to know that there's people who still exist who are of that caliber. Like, sure. she's, she's just an amazing human being. Like, my 
She's just amazing. She really is. And I, yeah. And she, she had a podcast or maybe she still does. She doesn't put out like content on the regular. I'm pretty sure I follow it and it comes out once in a while. Um, but she's, I, I love just when she is a guest on somebody else's podcast, I listen to it because I, she is a well thought out person. She has, she's a deep thinker. She's a nuanced thinker. And I, she knows right from wrong. She's not appreciate that. Yeah. Well, cause yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, she's, that's why she didn't get into the democratic (laughs) party. That's why she wasn't because she just wasn't corrupt enough. They couldn't buy her. Yeah. Correct. And for anybody fooling yourself out there, the Republican party isn't much different. Right, 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 right. You got to say the right things. You got to do the right things. Now Trump changed, Trump changed the Republican system in that he changed what now he just changed what you need to say and do now to get the Republican nomination. But it's still the same mechanics. Like you step on a line, like the thing right now that can tank your Republican bid is if you're anti-Trump. And that's just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. Like people need to be able to have an opinion, an individual thought to be able to be an individual and stand alone. Like, we have to stop this, like, I'll only vote for somebody if they check off 100% of the boxes. Because what happens is then the people that just want to get elected for the sake of getting elected, which are the people you don't want in office, figure out that algorithm. And they will get on the campaign trail, and they will just lie to your face. They will tell you what you want to hear. And then when they get in there, none of that shit ever happens. As we can look back on the history of pretty much whoever party gets nominated, none of their, like, I wish somebody would do this graph, like campaign promises versus things that actually happen. Like, Oh, my God. (laughs) Would that not be the most stark graph you ever saw in your life? Like, stop listening to these politics, politicians that just say what you want to hear and never do the thing. We're going to lower taxes. Okay, you just won all the votes Yeah, just by saying that one thing that you're not going to do. And I'll say this. I'm not even faulting the politicians. You've given them the ammunition. They just put it in their gun. Like we as voters are the ones that can't just be this simple minded. Just. Yeah. Anyways, went on to rant for not wanting to make this political. I made it political. (laughs) It's okay. I think, I think we're being, kind of open-minded enough about it like you and i we are on the same page we're not trying to convince anyone to join a team don't be on a team fuck i don't even vote you know and i i don't encourage others to vote you know we obviously i guess we disagree on that but i respect your opinion even though it's different than mine you know like if if we all hang out and just talk with people who we all agree at the same time we're not going to learn shit well for one so it's okay that are going to be like, well, if you don't vote, you don't get a right to bitch. I mean, there's some truth to that, you but don't get a, you don't get a right to what? To bitch about what's going on. Oh, okay. there's that sentiment out well, there, which I, I kinda, there's another disagreement. <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of agree with that, but I kind of don't. Also, like I kind of I shouldn't say agree that I kind of see where they're coming from. Um, but much like having a volunteer military, isn't it great? Isn't America so great that you have the choice to be involved or not be involved? Right. And you still get all the benefits of living in this country. You still you don't have to serve in the military. Much like myself, I didn't. But I still get to I still get to reap the benefits 
of everything that our military, the protection that it gives us. The fact that we are not being invaded, you know, like my house isn't a war torn country. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And yeah. I, and I didn't have to do anything well other than pay way more taxes than I should. But other than that, <laughs> but other than that, I, I, I love America. You know, America is arguably the best country in the world. Um, there was a time in my life where it wasn't arguable. America was the best country in the world to live in. Um, now it's arguable and I still love living here. It's one of, it's at least one of the best countries in the world to live in. I will still say, I mean, and here's the thing, it'll never be perfect. You know, it's like, correct. and this, correct. Uh, this is where I think people, you know, the people that, well, America's terrible and it's this and that. It's like, I think they lose sight of, um, what it what it gives them yeah is it's never gonna be perfect are there terrible things that this country does absolutely and i and yeah, i wouldn't course. shirk away from that but i would still say that this is the best country because when i look around now again i haven't lived in other countries so i can only go off of what i read what i hear what i see but when i do that i can't find a better country if you look at all the actual freedoms we have and yeah then you can you can go on a tangent and you can lay out a bunch of ways where we're not free and i'll probably agree with a lot of them but we are more free than most countries we have oh a, my god a yes. super high quality of life like the fact that we lose our shit when our wi-fi is slow you know what i mean like like these yeah, are these, these, our complaints are <laughs> our, our complaints are right. like i'm not as comfortable as i would like to be like I was slightly inconvenienced today, and this is bullshit. Oh, really? Are you worried about being bombed tomorrow? No. Are you worried that you're that like you can't eat fish out of a river? I mean, there's some of that, but it's not like you can't eat any. It's like don't eat this many meals. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and some of that is unavoidable. But I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. But the point being is if you look at America as a whole and then really step out of your life, look at your life outside looking in, especially if you can role play, like say, okay, I live in Poland and I look at how an American lives and what their daily struggles are versus what a Polish person's daily struggles are or a Kenyan or, you know, whatever, pick a Peruvian, pick a country. I think what you're going to find is we have it pretty fucking good. Like it's, it's without it's, a doubt, it's like we good. Our poor people are richer than the vast majority of the rest of the world. So, <clears throat> and they're fat, which means they're eating well. So there's that. <laughs> now oh, they're God. eating. Now they're eating shit food, <laughs> which is why they're fat, and that's a whole another rabbit hole to go down. But oh, the fact a of lot the of them is, are having way too many kids. And the fact of the matter is, they're not missing meals. So. When your poor people aren't missing meals, all have vehicles, all have cell phones, and probably have three TVs in their house, I'd say America's doing pretty good. All provided in part by the Democratic Party, who just <laughs> yeah. loves to give the handouts. <laughs> this message brought to you by the DFL. No. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, though, if I may play devil's advocate, some of that is also brought to you by capitalistic uh people that would vote republican that 
don't care if they prey upon poor people by giving them low nutrition, mass-produced shit food because they're make that corporation's making bank off of it. So not going to give the the right a free pass on playing their role in poverty, or at least the mm-hmm. health in poverty. Well, no, they play they definitely play a role in poverty for sure. But yeah, speaking speaking of unemployment, I uh, I have been in unemployment before, way back in my factory working days when I got unemployed or laid off, I should say. Oh yeah, I've been unemployed a bunch of times. <sighs> you know how fucking easy it is to just call them. You don't have to look for a job to get unemployment. All you have to do is call. You don't even talk to a human being. You push two different buttons on your on your phone that says that you did look for a job mm-hmm. you don't need to prove it you just need to push those two right. buttons and they freaking they cut you a check yep and unemployment oh, runs out after God. a while though i mean i've been on unemployment a bunch and never wanted to be never wanted to stay on it because it's not as much as you make at least for me it was i didn't make as much on unemployment as i did as an iron worker now if you got a good side hustle i know some people have a side hustle off the books and they end up making more money Ultimately, than when they're working, working because they're getting their unemployment and they're, you know, let's say they're double dipping, right? Mm-hmm, call it mm-hmm. that. They're making money off the books, which I'm definitely not going to demonize, because trust me, the government's getting their money in every other ass. As soon as you spend a dollar, they get ninety nine point nine percent of that dollar. So, right. I'm not. Yeah, I'm definitely not bitching. Uh, side work. <laughs> no yeah, yeah, hustle. I've, Go I've find a side guy. gig. Like I think everybody should have a side gig off the books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, the times that I again, times that I've been on unemployment, I don't want to be on unemployment. I want to get off of it, and that's the thing. Like, and and let's say the 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 people that are scamming the system in air quotes, or that are you know perpetually unemployed or milking out the system. Sure, those people exist. I think they're a small minority. And as far as in the realm, put it in perspective of wasteful spending in this country, that's such a small slice of the pie. Like, it shouldn't get the majority of our concentration. That's, you know, my opinion on that. I'm not going to sit here and demonize somebody for... I mean, I won't demonize them. I'll say it. I'll still tell them it's wrong. But I won't, like, you're a bad person and you're affecting my way of life. No, you're really not. Right, right. Again, going back to... Ultimately, if your welfare got cut off tomorrow, would my quality of life improve? Probably not. Like, actually, definitely not. So no, no. So why would I? Why would I? Like, my anger is misplaced. Like, that's the thing that you can see in real time. So that's the thing that gets your focus. But that's that systematic problem. Your focus should be on the people that put that there, that continue that there. You know. Again, our elected officials and our corrupt politicians. That's where your that's where your anger should be focused. Not to the family taking advantage of the system. And if if you even want to call it <laughs> if you even want to call it taking advantage, because it's not like they're taking advantage and they're driving around in Rolls Royces and eating a lobster every night. Like they're living in a piece of shit house, more than likely, with a piece of shit car, yeah. eating shit food. Okay. They're really taking advantage of life. Like, they're really killing it. I guarantee you they are not happy. If you were to sit them down and really, like, have a human-to-human conversation with them, I bet they're not happy. 
Correct. They would they would not be able to lay out how good their life is going because they're cashing welfare checks. Anyways, yeah, I wish there was a <clears throat> I wish there was a way that we could encourage those people. You know, just just giving them money. You know, just being like, oh, here's five bucks. That doesn't do shit. You need to encourage them to teach them how to hunt, fish, and forage. Yeah, you know, just encourage them. I guess that's uh, a big benefit of what you and I are doing right now with this podcast. Is we're just trying to inspire people. You know. Yeah, learn a skill. Learn, you know, like, and and especially like in an urban setting, like there's so much urban foraging that can be done. That, and yeah, can you can you supplement your entire diet with urban foraging? No, you can't. But what it does, the bigger piece of that is that it gives you confidence that, like, okay, I, I procured this food, like myself. I didn't. It didn't cost me any money. And it tastes so much better than anything you buy from the store so because you did it. Yeah, it, it's it's physically, biologically, scientifically healthier, and it's definitely psychologically healthier for you. You're gonna feel better about yourself because you did that, and you know you're eating mm-hmm. healthier. And so, yeah, anytime you can spread any sort of education like that and again if you can lure some of these people into fishing in the hunting realm again now they get to eat some fish or they get to eat a goose or whatever the thing might be that same mechanics are there you're going to feel good about it you did that you know and it's also going to give you a better outlook on life because now you're going to be aware of something you probably weren't aware of before and that is the vast amount of public lands that this country has to offer. Again, going back to, if you think America's so bad, find me another country that has this much public land. Millions yeah, of I'd acres. Like to... <clears throat> millions of acres for you to oh, recreate yes. on. Whether that be mountain biking, hiking, hunting, fishing, camping, whatever, foraging, whatever that thing may be. You know, some lands can't be used for this, can't be used for that. But they they are... You don't, there's no gate, there's no ticket, there's no, like, no corporation owns that, except for the corporation of the government, but you can, you get, you get to use it. I believe, I believe just the state of Wyoming alone, this is just a single state. Let me think about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure, because Caitlin and I, Caitlin's my current girlfriend, we were having a conversation about this over the phone, talking about, you know, I was telling her how much I just like all the public land. And I think we were talking about the state of Wyoming and she was doing the research on her phone as we were talking about this and between BLM and another organization, like maybe Wyoming state trust lands or something, there was a combined 48 million acres of public hunting ground in one state alone of Wyoming. That is a single state. 48 million acres. You don't have enough time in your life to find all that property. Right. And and so another one I want to bring up is, so a lot of people are like, and Wyoming's one, low popula- population density. So you can be like, well, yeah, well, there's a whole lot of nothing. Well, that's true, but it's still filled yes. with life yes. and, and potential Opportunity. to do stuff. Yeah. Yes. One of the states that gets a lot of flack for not having public land is Texas. But I want to say, yeah, and per like percentage-wise, it's really low. But Texas is ginormous. 
Isn't so, that like 25% of our nation? It's <laughs> I mean, that's an exaggeration. It's huge. It's, it's like its, its own country. It's huge. So when I hear people say that there's no public land in Texas, it's not a true statement. It's actually, there's actually quite a bit of it. There are large tracts of wildlife management areas out there that are, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look it up right now just to see okay. if I can get a total I'm not fine. South Dakota. South Dakota is also not good for public hunting. And Minnesota is also not good for public hunting. Yeah, there are places to go, but it's like 3%. 3 3% of the land. Up where I'm at, there is a shit ton of public land. Like, it's mostly public land. Chippewa National Forest, Superior National Forest. Like, and that's not counting wildlife management areas. That's not counting. That's not counting a lot of land that's owned by timber companies that is public access. Like okay. that's not going to come up on your public, you know, owned whatever. So Minnesota but has a available. shit ton of land, but it is available. Um, huge checks of land. But going back to like Texas, like yeah, percentage wise, it's not much. But knowing how big Texas is, when you let's put it this way, when you get next to an air, a public land area, you're like you you could hunt that wildlife management area your entire life and probably never see the same tree twice if you did it right. Oh yeah, okay. It's like it's huge. Like there, there are huge pu- swaths of public land in Texas, but when you pan out in the state as a whole, they look like little tiny dots, right? It's that's a, it's a perspective thing. So, point being, you don't get too lost in the weeds with Texas and that. Um, it would be nice to see even more public land in Texas, but it's just not going to happen. Um, it's out there, and utilize it, you know. And I think that's when you teach these impoverished people and not even i don't want to even like focus on just impoverished people urban people maybe they're well off maybe the middle class whatever their financial category they fit into might not be aware that this system exists outside of the 494 694 loop right like oh yeah right right no good point you can expose them to a whole world they didn't realize exist and if you want to grab allies to your political ideology that's the way to do it you know, and just bring them with. If you find anybody that's at all hunting curious, like invite them to come out. They don't have to hunt. Apprentice hunter validation. There you go. Look or it up. That, or, once Look it they, up. or once they get, they're like, well, maybe I want to try this. Yeah, then that hunter apprentice validation thing comes into play. But if they just want to come along and they just like, you brush in a blind form and they just sit there and have them bring a camera or whatever. Or just watch just the show. Just expose them to it. Just expose like, them to it. That was pretty crazy. You know, I've never actually seen the sun come up on a wheat field before. Even that was pretty cool. And, right. you know, then the the whole thing, like the, com- the camaraderie, then maybe you go to breakfast after if it's a really successful trip and you're getting and you're talking about it and you're reliving it. Maybe you share some of that bounty with them. Like, they might never take up hunting, but they're going to have a favorable opinion of it. So then when yes. something comes down and they're back, they're back having their wine tasting, uh, whatever they're doing, full of their other urban friends and network, and the subject of hunting comes up and somebody ignorantly says something negative about hunting, now this person can correct them. They're like, well, actually, I went fishing or I went hunting with my cousin and I actually sat in the blind. I didn't hunt, but I was there. And it's like, you know, what you're saying, these stereotypes that you're creating wasn't true, or at least it wasn't true in my experience. You know, if you look at the downside, you know, the the bad, 
the negative stereotypes of hunters, you know, the big, loud, nasty truck and the shooting, you know, poaching and indiscriminate killing and, you know, whatever, the, the cartoon version of Hunter, the Hollywood versions of Hunter. Oh, they're right. Always, yeah, yeah. They're always, Bambi. Yeah, they're always idiots. They're always, you know, reckless, whatever. They're always assholes. They're always buffoons. So when they start talking about, oh, they're just all rednecks or the this, that, and the other, you got this person now that had a positive experience around it and they have the opportunity to go, well, I mean, maybe there are some, but that's not my personal experience. And you, you, you've now checked them because there's so many people that just say stuff in their little echo chambers and it never gets challenged. So it reaffirms their opinion because it wasn't challenged. People that are listening to that conversation may or may not have shared that opinion, but now they had that opinion because there was no retort to it. That's all they know of it is what they heard in this Right. And, and then they repeat person it. gave a speech speech about it, so it must be true. Yeah, and then now they now they repeat it, which is the same thing. Now, if somebody was there to respond to that, is going to have real life first person experience with it. That is going to trump every hearsay argument that's ever happened, because all that person has to say is like, "Well, have you ever done it? Do you know it? Do you personally know anybody that actually does it?" Well, no. Well then your opinion doesn't weigh much. And again, those fringe people that are just part of the conversation but not in it, who do you think's opinion is going to have more weight? The person with real-life experience. And that's just, maybe they never do anything with it. But again, another scenario pops up down the line. They had exposure to this. They're going to have a favorable, you know, maybe they never vocalize it. But in their mind, when they're at that ballot box, if it comes down to it, that might be the thing that tips them one way or the other. Like, well, I mean, I don't really hunt, but here's this anti-hunting bill, and I mean, I don't really like when people take shit away from me, so yeah, I'm not going to vote for that. Uh, There's a saying that's been spinning in my head like a broken record, and uh, I think about this all the time, and it is who I am. The closer I am to nature, the further I am from the bullshit. Mm. That's That's a good one. I, I just can't stress how valuable that would be to everyone. I don't care if you live in the cities, you know, like just, just, just get, just get out of the cities. Just take a drive. <laughs> yeah. Just, just leave, take, just get out. <laughs> yep. Take a drive, man. Just take a drive, you know? <sighs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm more so about that than when, and this, I haven't heard anything about this in a long time, but this was kind of a, I think it's probably when the internet was blowing up and the forums and Facebooks and that, where you were getting a lot of infighting in the outdoor space where like, don't post these pictures. It, 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 it puts hunters in a bad light. And I think there's some truth to that, but the, the loudest voices, the ones that are actively fighting against you, that would be in support of taking money away from archery programs would be you're not changing their mind so i'm not going to go about my life as a hunter and try to placate them because they'll just go to the next thing like you're you're not softening the blow for them and my argument for like taking better pictures isn't about trying to win anybody over it's about they just look better like when you take a good like what is what is more so much visually appealing to you when you go back and relive your hunt and you're going through 
just your phone. Maybe you never even posted it, but you're just going through the pictures on your phone. Which picture is more visibly appealing to you? The clean, not roughed up goose you're holding up that you can just sit there and admire the beauty of that creature or the one where the head is splayed open, there's blood dripping everywhere, there's mud, <laughs> right, right. there's trash in the corner, it wasn't a well-framed picture, there's just this that you like. Which one is easier to look at and actually which one are you going to gravitate to and it's going to be the i nice do spend clean. a lot of time setting up nice photos yes I just, for sure i just it's it's important to me that the pictures like it was an awesome memory and an awesome experience i also want an a, a photo that's going to follow suit with that whole thing take some time it, and it doesn't even take that much time but a little bit of effort and Correct. you're going to Correct. like the product much more you know go to deer hunting what looks better a deer with a tongue hanging out or a deer with not a tongue hanging out. Like, it's yes, yes, that is one thing that and is again, one thing that I notice, and it just bothers me. And when I'm not people trying take pictures to, of deer with the, the tongue hanging yeah, out. It's and, like, it, what? and it has on, nothing what? to, and it has nothing to do with like trying to win over the public. I'm talking just to you as the person that bagged that buck. When you go back and look at your pictures, you are going to enjoy looking at that picture so much more if the tongue is not hanging out. And it's yeah. got blood spewing out of its nose. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, it's just going to be better for you. So take some time, you know. And Man, and nothing, nothing. Nice. No, there's not a whole lot better, Dale, at least to me. Like, I just have a, a ton of respect for coyotes, and I know I'm in the minority. But because I hunt them effectively, efficiently, I, I kill coyotes. But every coyote I kill is the result of a good hunt. You know, I don't, I don't go out to just kill coyotes. I just, I enjoy hunting them more than anything else, you know? And when I kill a coyote, it's the result of a good hunt. And I want to take a great picture of this coyote. So like, that's just one thing. Like I love taking awesome, like (laughs) photographs of the coyotes, you know, like I pose them and you know, the light's got to be right. It doesn't take that long. No, you know, I I love, I love my predator calling album. You know, I love it. Yeah, for sure. It's going to look so much better. Now, with that said, I have I have a few photos that I've taken that have some gore involved in it that cross over, like, the gore thing, like, kind of come art. Now, this is a – there's no That picture. photo then may just be more about the memory that it brings back. Yeah, and it's like there's a few – and the people that know me and I've showed some pictures to, like, it's like this is incredible. Like, I've gone out to – the one that comes to my mind the most is – we had this, and again, it brings back a great hunting memory too, because there's the situation that happened. But I'll skip the story part and go to the picture. So we had dropped this bird, and there was some ice out there, and it wasn't much ice; it was like an inch, inch and a half. So I had to belly crawl out there to go retrieve oh. this bird. And I get out there; it's a hen redhead, but how it died, this pool of blood formed around it, and the edges of the blood was kind of freezing to the ice and it's just the stark contrast of the black clear ice that bird and that bright red blood was just like this is a crazy ass image and so i'm on my belly and i'm fighting for my phone and everybody's like what is he doing you know they're watching me from the blind like what is going on i'm like you'll, just under- grab the you'll bird, understand back, right and I, so I, I take this picture, and I grab the duck, and I scurry back, and I get back, and, and I show them the picture, and they're like, oh, shit, that is so cool. And, yeah, it's kind of macabre, but it's like that visual image is like, 
it's art. I don't know how else you want me to explain. Like, sure, it, it, sure. It's, it like, how many people have seen that? You know, like that exact image. Like that yeah, is as yeah, unique yeah. as fingerprints. Man, I had another one where it was a snow goose, and the way it fell in the snow, and just a little bit of blood splatter on, like some blood beads on its feathers, and then some in the in the snow. Same thing. It was like, this is amazing. I'll have to try to find some of those pictures and, and share them with you. And sorry, I know like everybody listening, you're not gonna be able to see these, but um. I've got a I've got a photograph of a snow goose that was impaled by a corn stalk. That's kind of cool. Yes, yeah, some of those are pretty gory and cool. Don't quite like go into like the the art thing, but I've seen some of those where it's just like yeah, corn stalk sticking straight out of their chest. You're like, oh damn, yeah. dang. Even something as as crazy and really dark as uh, and this happened to us shot the beak off of a bird of a goose like clean right where like oh my the God. beak meets the feather that's where it like oh. sheared off the craziest oh. part about it is that bird didn't die immediately like it stood up and its head was bobbing and blood was just pouring from where its face used to be the thing and we just sat there in awe it actually got up and started flying had to shoot it again okay <laughs> like what what just happened? <laughs> like, that is the craziest shit ever. But, yeah, pretty pretty damn wild. Um, but going back to the the taking a good picture. Again, it's not, oh, yeah, for, yeah. it's not for other people. It's not, I'm not worried about presenting hunting in the most nerfed way possible to win some sense fitter or sense fence sitter. Jeez, I got dyslexic there for a second. <laughs> Fence sitter at the ballot box. Like, I don't think it holds that much sway. Giving somebody a real, even just sharing game with somebody. Like, maybe they don't even go on the hunt with you, but you're friendly with your neighbor or whatever, and maybe they they ask you questions because they've never been hunting or whatever, and you have some, you have a tenderloin or you have a duck breast, or you just invite them over. Because if, if they've never done it, you just hand them a, a goose breast, they're not going to know what to do with it. Chances are, unless they're a chef, right? But better yet, if you're good at preparing and you know you can prepare a good wild game dish, invite them over for dinner and the barbecue. I mean, that's the best way. Like, you're basically dosing them with what, like, just invite them to barbecue. Have actual other stuff, hot dogs, hamburgers, or whatever, but then also have this really delicious yeah, take a little bite sort. of this. Yeah, like cut them off a nice tender like, slice. Oh, here, have some of this. Take a little oh, bite. What's that? Yeah. Oh, that's goose. Really? That's amazing. Yeah, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. You know, so, something as you know, simple as that. And now, now, now you have a now you have an ally, Experience. a potential ally yeah. at the border at the voter box. Right. You know. Right. I think somebody that was gonna, that would be so adverse to a bloody picture online. Is already probably I wouldn't even call them a fence sitter. They probably already have a negative opinion of hunting, and that just like solidified it even more, right? You're, not, you're probably never going to win that person over, anyways. So again, like the people that jump somebody else's ass about having a, a bloody bird picture or whatever, I don't really subscribe to that. I don't really believe that. I'm gonna try to educate you on how to take good pictures, just because they're better for you. You mm-hmm. will enjoy them much better with very little effort on your part like mm-hmm. it just it just takes a little bit it's not much you know one of the things i like to do here's a hot tip for taking good bird pictures is you know they're full of rigor 
they're all stiff and whatever, and they're they've been laying there, and their their feathers are matted down. I'll take them, <coughs> grab their wings, and swing that head around, and loosen up those muscles. Get the bird back, you know, work the wings, work the legs, get break that rigor up, get them where they're limp again, and just fluff them up. I'll grab them by the feet and kind of swing them around a little bit, and re-fluff up them feathers. Then put everything back in together, and that that head will be all fluffed up. The birds, the, mm, the, the feathers will be laying right, and that little head wiggle, that's like that's huge. You just grab the wings, pin them against the body, and just swing that thing around, and it'll that head will puff back up. Especially on like mallards or something like that that have kind of have a blockhead already. But even it works it works good on geese though too. Just you don't have that the yeah just they they, may, they look fuller. Well, that's. Interesting. That that'd be uh that's a new one for me. I one haven't the, tried that or heard of it yet. One of my favorite picks is when you hold a bird by the belly and the wing is kind of draped down and the head, you know what I mean, and you're like you're portraying it. It's almost more like a fish picture where you're holding it out to the camera and you're not trying to make it look bigger per se, but you're just making it the focus point of the picture. Uh-huh. I I like those. Those look really good because a lot of times you can see the wing detail and the big blocky head, and that's that's where that technique of like fluffing that head up and relaxing those those muscles again, getting it out of that the rigor mortis is like that's where it's really important. Versus just unceremoniously holding up a mallard by its feet, you know what I mean? It's all it's all wings are kinked to one side and one of my half its uh, head favorite is matted. one of my favorite photographs. Uh, go on to my Facebook page. Not only you, but everyone listening, because I'm pretty sure my Facebook page is public. All right, Let me know when you're there. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Bill Schmidt. Okay, I'm here. If I need to go to then go photos. to photos. Yep, go to photos and then go to albums. Albums. <clears throat> and then go to lifetime, what is it, favorite lifetime photos? Snow top lifetime hunt. There it is. Yeah, Close. there it is. Okay. And then I might have to steal that album and do something similar to mine. Do it. All right. What am I looking for? Oh, look at that cute little quail. Um. There's a mallard photograph. We had a great morning pasture pond hunt Monticello. Um. We killed all drakes because I was like, we're the dude. You know, I told the clients that morning, I said, let's pick out the drakes because we are going to have a good picture if we just, you know, I have an idea for a photograph. And, of course, Rick Walker was on that hunt, so there's a dead hen in there. Um. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the hen killer in our group. I do it, and I do it proudly. Oh, man, hunting with Rick was so much fun because he just kind of did his own thing, and we all loved having him there. I don't see, I don't, I must have went past the Mallard one, but I see a beautiful cinnamon teal. Holy shit, that thing is gorgeous. Um, let's see. A lot of dead geese. Okay, so it's towards bands. the bottom. At least on my phone, it's towards oh, the bottom, it. and it's on the it. left-hand side. It's got on the left it. row. In the, in On the snow cover. Yes, thank you. You got it. Yeah, look at those things. That's so cool. No that is hand. just, I'm, that is one of my favorite. I'm so much obviously. more impressed I put with it, the one I, hand. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, we don't need But I just love that, that picture because of the contrast, you know, with the white. And then also, we not only get the, 
not only get the green heads, but also the blue speculum. Yeah. Yep. Like I, I, I spent a lot of time with that picture and the clients were super cool and understanding. I mean, it was a 20 minute hunt. So of course everyone was in a good mood. You know, they're like, Oh, take your time. You know, yeah, right. Shit, we're going to, we're, we're going to, when you're done taking this awesome picture, we're going to go freaking have breakfast. I mean, it was just one of those awesome days, you know, again, easy money too, you know? Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Everybody's got, well, they already wrote their whole morning off, right? Like they were going to be hunting all day. So the fact that, they're already going to be home earlier than they thought they were going to be. They're like, yeah, take some extra time and sit with the photo. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys, you think about that picture and the memories, at least, that it brings for me. Like, we're going to go to breakfast. Those guys are going to be to the office by 10, 30, or 11 in the morning. Like, they didn't even have to take a full day of work off. Right. So here's – oh, that's Peyton. So I'm going to send – this is kind of the eh, – that's not a great picture. I'll keep looking. Oh, wait. There we go. That's yeah, that's a good representation of what I was trying to tell you. Sorry, listeners. This is terrible podcast stuff. Um, just trying to... Sh so now Phil will have a visual representative of the pose that I like. I think it just displays birds in the best way. What kinds of birds? Uh, well, this particular one I sent you was a snow goose. Actually, I think it was a blue. Okay, and is this just one bird? Yep, it's a person okay. holding up one bird. Okay. There's one. Get, get there's one eventually. way that. There's one way that Nick Johnson takes pictures, and I might adopt that. Um, he just holds the bird up. In the air with his one hand and takes a picture of it with its its head is hanging and like its one wing will be drooped down. Yeah, that's what that's yeah that's exactly what I sent you. What if that text oh, really? makes it to you? Yeah. Yeah, I I that's that's kind of I think I think I'm gonna start doing that more. It looks really it's really visually pleasing. It looks nice and you get to like really appreciate the bird. Like it kind of shows yes the aspects of the bird really well. Yes. I'm trying to, oh, so here's I'm gonna share another one. Here's one of those kind of macabre. This is the snow goose picture one that I sent you, and you, where I'm gonna send you. Tell me this isn't art of some sort. It's thinking. It's thinking. It's thinking. God, oh man, that should be fucking framed. I should put that in a frame. That thing is awesome. I take some damn good pictures. I just want to say. <laughs> <laughs> if I may say so myself. <laughs> Por favor, bear with me. Uno momento, I pulled into a way station. So oh, okay. I'm be a little distracted oh, here. man. They're going to write you a ticket. They're going to look at your logbooks. Oh, my God. <laughs> now you have all sorts of time. So that happened to me. Oh, that's a pretty good picture, too. Now I'm just going to start sharing pictures with you. <laughs> Keep, keep it alive here. I'll, I'll be out of yeah, here. Yeah, no, I'm just, I got this one. It's all of like mallard heads lined up. And much like your photo, there's one hen in there. Guarantee you I shot it. Um, I don't have a problem with shooting hens at all. None whatsoever. And everybody's heard my rant on that a million times. I'll give you the abbreviated version. 
I find it, uh, ir not ironic, but I find it stupid that the only species that we have a hen restriction on is the most populated duck species on the planet. That's all so you need now, to know about the efficacy of a hen restriction. So now I'm in the clear and I can talk, and I agree with you on the kill all the hens, I don't care. Yeah, it's, it's, it's whatever, it's dumb. You get the person like, if, you, if, a dead hen got, lays no if eggs. We've got, True statement. If we've got 5,000 mallards using the field in December and the season's open, whatever, obviously, you know, uh, and, and if we are selective and we can kill all drakes, I'm not, I'm not against that either. The drakes make for a better a picture. Damn fine picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make for right. a better picture, but in the, in the realms of, con uh, of conservation, it does jack, jack shit. And I get Agreed. people, they're always like, oh, dead hen lays no eggs. Yeah, oh, you're what right. What about snow geese? What about honkers? Yeah, exactly. What about teal? But it's like, if there's any validity to the hen restriction, why isn't it then on the species like camasback, where a lot of times the limit is only one? And if you tell right. me you can't tell a difference between a hen camasback and a drake camasback, are you out of your mind? You're like, that's probably the most stark. Or, or how about pintails? Same thing. A lot of times you can only shoot one pintail a year. Well, you can tell the difference between a drake and a hen pretty easy, even before they're fully plumed out. Easier than mallards, mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. You know, you get an eclipse. You get an eclipse drake. That that's difficult. That's definitely tough to do sometimes. But yeah, it's just, it doesn't. It just it doesn't make any sense. It's a dumbest. I really would like to see that law go away. So the only thing it's good for is writing tickets. It's funny. Uh... You know, in Canada, they can kill just eight a day of anything. Yeah. Brown duck smash. I love it. You know, same with Mexico. But but in Mexico, <laughs> but uh, that's not really a fair comparison. But in Mexico, there is no limit. And, uh, but by the time the ducks get down to Mexico, they are in their best, their absolute best dress business suits. You know, if you can't tell a hen from a drake in Mexico, oof. Yes, up. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. But there's <sighs> just another example there. of where you can kill, you know, Canada and Mexico. And the reason they, the reason they're so liberal with their laws in Canada and Mexico is because they don't have any waterfowl hunters. Right. The only the only waterfowl hunters they have are not from their own country. They're not residents. It's you know what I mean? They're non-residents. Yeah, no, and I think I think Nick brought this up one time. We talked about it, and I think somebody may have done the numbers. I'm not sure, but even at, like, hunting numbers the way they are right now, like country success rates, like, as limits are set now, you know, if we have the lim liberal limits, which looks like we'll have again, which is, like, the full, you know, six ducks, full 90-day season or whatever the, whatever the numbers are, you look at hunter success rates, and it's I think it's less than – one bird per hunter per hunt. Correct. Right? So technically, with bird populations as of right now, you could have no limit on ducks, and you would see virtually no, no change in global yes. populations. Obviously, it's never going to happen. But it, like, but that's, but I think it brings I, up a good point. I think it's a good perspective to have. And again, I still just, have hope, though. It, it, yeah. It still has the then it really puts that hen restriction even in a poorer light, even more ridiculous light when you think of it that way. Because mm -hmm. the other thing I think of is like, okay, there's a certain time of year where we can kill them as humans, 
but they're getting jacked all year round by predators. <laughs> Hawks, owls, foxes, skunk, you know, whatever, you name it. Like, yep. there's no limits on that. There's no hen restriction on that. In fact, it's probably the hens that get jacked more often because they're the ones that have to sit on a nest, you know. They can't just freely fly about like the drakes do. So, and then I suppose that argument could be used against against you. Be like, well, yeah, well, that's why it's even more important. But it's just the numbers don't hold up. The, th- the, the thing, the two factors that determine overall populations are nesting success, which is largely due to weather at the time, and food availability, which have nothing to do with us, basically. Correct. You know, largely weather-driven. Both those factors, largely weather-driven. So, you know, whether there's good crops that year, you know, due to drought or not, or too much water, flooding, you know, whatever. Those are the things, you know, nesting quality and habitat, well, again, success rates, that's what drives it. It's not hunter harvest is never shows up on a graph, almost. Dale, I'm going to have a lot of time for podcasting today, but I'm getting closer to my destination, okay. and I'm very distracted. We so we can we can wrap this one up, or yeah, yeah, yeah. or we can or we can or we can pick it up where it left off here shortly. But I nah, gotta let you go. No, nah, then we'll, we'll just we'll go ahead and wrap it up. With any final uh, thoughts? I think we pretty well wrapped it up right there. I think we again didn't uh, introduce ourselves. <laughs> uh, Phil Schmidt. <laughs> uh, I'm Dale Luganville, and this is the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Whatever your passion, pursue it full scale. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. You go out there and the fish are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.